0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Making a Scene. My name's John Jufray. Thank you for joining me today. This is the Making a Scene podcast where each episode I talk to an unorthodox thinker, a unique character, a creative troublemaker, and we get to the root of what their X factor is and how they cultivated that in their lives. Was it something they learned along the way? Was it, you know, something a parent said to them? Is it just the way they were born? Where do they get that magic that they bring to their work that really no one else can and how they become such a character? Then we talk about what kind of a scene they want to make how they want to change the world, what kind of art or businesses they want to build and how they hope that impacts their community and the world and their own lives. So that's what we're doing here. And as usual, the show is brought to you by the Artworks Group. Artworks is a community for gig economy workers who want to transcend the stupid competitive race to the bottom horse shit that you're going to find on Fiverr. We're not about that. We're about helping people master their careers and take them to the next level with really high quality gigs that you're making beautiful and functional things, whether it's events, marketing or art. And and you're you're sharing it with people who care about it and who are paying really well for it at fair rates. And we wanna help you hone your career, getting gigs like that, getting those dream gigs. We also wanna collaborate with you and help you make your own projects a reality, help you hone your craft help you, you know, learn more about whatever it is that you need to know so that you can not just survive in the gig economy, but kind of thrive in the partnership economy, which is what we're building. So if that sounds like it's for you, you should check out facebook.com slash groups slash artworks group. That's all the housekeeping. This episode is going to be a banger. I'm so happy that I got my dear friend Garrett Daly on the show. Garrett Daly is a philosopher. He is an author. He is a entrepreneur. He is a business strategist. He is a podcaster. He um, fasted for 40 days once. He only had salt water for 40 days. He moved to the fucking desert and lived in the desert. He's worked at Tesla. He has written two volumes on philosophy. And you can read uh, the the breakdowns of the specific articles in those books. You can read them on his blog at masterthyself.com. Blog's called Master Self. Um, He is the founder of Ion Media, which was a company I was involved with for a while. Basically philosophy and ideas, publishing and broadcasting and business strategy. The dude's all over the place. He's one of the most interesting people that I know. And he is uh, one of my best friends. And it's really an honor really to introduce you to Garrett Daly. I'm probably going to shit on him for an hour. uh, Just, you know, poke some fun at him, but it'll be all in good fun. Uh, Thank you guys for checking out this episode with Garrett Daly. You can find all of his links down below and I encourage you to follow him uh, and all of his interesting writings and ideas. So thank you for joining me today. Let's make a scene. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Making a Scene. Thank you for joining me today. My name is John Giuffre, and today our guest is the wonderful Garrett Daly. I introduced him in the pre-roll, but I'll sum it up one more time. He is a philosopher, an author, and a business strategist, and an extraordinary podcaster, and also a dear friend of mine. Garrett, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's always fun. John and I actually met as a result of John's old podcast, which allegedly
0: has morphed into this podcast but we'll see (laughs) that remains to be seen i'll do something with the old one at some point but um i suppose we should get the obvious stuff out of the way which is um we don't have a proper camera setup. so i don't know if they'll hear this but yep there it is (laughs) he's on that side of the wall (laughs) yep we're doing the old roommate thing but uh so we're in a unique situation right because Actually, this is what I would identify your x factor as it's a few things you're an exceptionally principled thinker, and you act based on those principles and you're very rigorous and that's one thing I want to get into but honestly just knowing you for as long as I've known you, you are an excellent connector of the right people, you know, how to time bringing people into certain environments. And the case in point for that is we're living in kind of the prototype of an artist entrepreneur Uh, you know, whatever, Accelerator House, uh, the prototype of Nova. Our previous guest, Sunny Sue, was talking about a little bit of what Nova might be. And um, I guess I just wanted to ask you, why are we here in Nova and what brings me and you and the other people in this fine house down here?
1: Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, I watched Fight Club when I was like a teenager and they lived in that rundown house and so that's always been my goal and somehow our house isn't that rundown i also don't really wanted to live in a warehouse and that never happened either so i guess i'm just failing but uh as a consolation prize i'll settle for having a relatively uh nice house in an exceptionally nice neighborhood uh full of smart enterprising people the idea uh in general i think We pretty much got everything wrong as far as culture, society, and the way that we actually live our lives go in some span of the last 400 years. It's been getting progressively worse. Um, One of the issues with the way that we build buildings in general is that we build buildings with the intention of monetizing the buildings, and thus you get apartment complexes that are effectively human cubicles where you pack as many people into a box as you can, and everyone gets one dishwasher and one dryer and one washing machine and all of those different appliances, which drives up the cost. You also need all of this extra space for things that could be shared with other people. So you end up with 400 washing machines in a building that could have probably 30 industrial ones or something like that, right? And so rent is arbitrarily high and getting higher because you're trying to get as many people into a building as possible with as high of a rent as possible. And it basically means everyone gets the worst of everything and they pay exceptionally large sums of money for it. I think um Sonny probably mentioned his downtown apartment was like sixteen hundred a month, I think for a one bedroom, which is just obscene. And that's not even that high of one as far that's as think
0: Toronto, thing the my, my girlfriend and I have a place that's like four thousand a month for a two bedroom.
1: Well, that's Canada, so you're in, you know, Canada. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no that, and that's not an that's not an unheard of number. I mean, for, for hopefully for most people that is an insane number because it's insane. But the uh, the point being that we don't build buildings in a way that makes any sort of sense based off of human evolution. We don't. People literally don't know why we do anything that we do, and most of what we do we do for stupid bad reasons that is beneficial to someone in the short run, but is actually detrimental to everyone in the lo- medium to long term. So. If you look at um there's a lot of problems with cities in general population density correlates with basically every bad thing in the world with the exception of the number of geniuses per square mile so actually the more people you get in a city the more geniuses you get and maybe that's an ancillary benefit or maybe that's the city trying to solve the problem of having the city it's like hey we're gonna throw some smart people at you so we can stop doing this nonsense but it doesn't seem to work, look at San Francisco, right? It's it's disgusting. So we, we continue to try and do this thing where we put all these people in a place where you end up increasing lots of problems, uh, crime, poverty, you know, whatever, it just gets bad. And you can look at like Steven Pinker or someone who's gonna make the argument that, oh, everything's actually getting better, but mental health is, you know, the rates of uh, mental illness and uh, isolation and other, horrible horrible thing isolation is like the worst thing in the world for people because in nature if you're isolated you die right or you go insane or you become uh like a violent criminal or something to subsist because you have no other option you're in exile right and so loneliness as a is a feature because loneliness is so viscerally painful because it keeps you making pro-social decisions and yet we built the system that basically ensures that everyone's going to be lonely so all of that to say uh, cities and the way that we live is so anti-human right that it's astounding and we're so caught up in the narrative that what we're doing is can be construed as progress and don't get me wrong there's a lot of progress I have no intentions of throwing society away but we're so committed to the idea that every single thing that we do or that uh consumerist culture produces is a net good that we ignore the horrible, horrible consequences of it.
0: Dude, like, and one thing that a lot of people who give the kind of answer or explanation that you just gave, a common trait of people who do that usually are that they're talking a lot of shit and not living it. But having known you, I've watched you evolving your journey. Like you mentioned that the first podcast we did, which is now hidden away on a hard drive somewhere from last year, but, um. The the thing that attracted me to asking you to come on that show the most was that you like ditched society and went and lived in the desert and fasted for 40 days. Like you're about it. Like you have some level of dedication to I've identified, you know, rightly or wrongly, I actually happen to agree with a lot of what you say, but rightly or wrongly you've identified a moral path forward. And it's like, okay, I'm fucking doing it. And then you do it. Most people don't do that at all. They're like, oh, well, in a different society maybe I could do this or we can slowly change the society so I can be more moral or, or whatever. But you're like, no, I'm doing it. So I'm wondering where the hell that came from.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the fundamental premise of my book and website is literally like the tagline, which is save the world, master yourself, right? So there, years ago, there's a show called Heroes and the tagline was save the cheerleader, save the world. So I figured I'd do a play on that. But the idea is everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to do anything about it, right? So you get these people that like share stuff on Facebook and they feel like they're a real activist PM or something like that. And it's like, I don't really care for any of that. And also, I really don't feel like I have the authority to tell anyone what to do unless I've done the thing and it works. So anything that I did on my website is literally either something that I came up with that I'm going to posit as a theory, or it's something that I tested on myself, right? So there's a variety of different challenges I've done throughout the, the history of the website, like fasting or carnivore or running an ultra marathon or uh, living in a tent, or uh, I probably have some other ones that I've done recently that should get written about, but I haven't, I've kind of been on hiatus from writing um, because I really didn't feel like I was in a place that any of the stuff that i was working on was worth being talked about because they're still trying to solve a bunch of stuff so generally anything that i'm going to write about is something that i feel confident doesn't invalidate uh you like i if somebody did it and they took my advice on it it would not be something that would be a net negative for them because i verified that it works well enough that i'm confident talking about it right so technically the, one of the th- one of the things that I really, really am uncomfortable about is if I ever do or say something that causes someone else to be more fucked up than they were when they started, right? So I would not be able to live with myself if I gave out bad advice, right? And I generally try to, to be cognizant of like the level of confidence with which I say anything. So I try to usually say like, here's an abstract theory. This is totally bullshit. I don't know about this one. Or it's like, I'm pretty confident about this, but very rarely am I certain of anything. And I'm usually trying to prove myself wrong. But I think the right attitude to have is, regardless of any of that shit, whatever you're doing, you should just try and make yourself better. And then you can figure out all the other stuff when you're perfect. But until then, it really doesn't matter what you think about stuff. I don't do politics because there's no universe where I'm qualified to have opinions about how other people should live their lives. I have feelings about it, right? I have plenty of feelings about how other people should live their lives, but I don't have any hard and fast opinions about it with the exception of if you start telling me how to live my life, then you're fucking up somewhere because there's no universe where you're qualified to do that either. You know, the, it's a, it's a testament to the fact that we can make bad decisions for ourselves, that nobody's qualified to make decisions for anyone else in the world.
0: Is that sort of uh, is that sort of willingness or, or, attempt to to know exactly what you're qualified to say and then to back that up right is that something that was like did your parents cultivate that in you because it's really a trait that not a lot of people have I'm sure you're aware and I'm actually genuinely fascinated by where that comes from and if it's possible to cultivate it in other people
1: um let's think so my dad is very much like self-sufficient uh he's He's uh, extreme, like by the average person standard is like a Jocko Willink level badass. And most people like probably comparable levels of fortitude and and shit, Uh, except he's not well known where Jocko Willink is, right? Um, But he's like, he's run multiple hundred mile plus races and- Uh, is special forces and all different like multiple different kinds of marine corps special forces army ranger as well even though he's marine so all kinds of crazy shit uh super see so right like 13 miles on a broken leg one time is just nuts right so how do you kid, do that huh how do you do that uh they dropped him when they uh, he was repelling and then he broke his leg and didn't realize it and then just went for a run anyway so i don't know he's nuts but so the the thing was that when i was a kid he obviously like has the respect for authority. I never got that. And also I'm so I'm super insubordinate. So my whole thing was like, basically, I don't know. I was like, I always assumed that I was right. And I was really wrong about all kinds of shit for a really long time. And I've gotten to a point where I'm probably more right than I am wrong most of the time now. But the, but I always took the responsibility of like, I'm going to go figure it out for myself because I really, really, really don't like taking orders. And whether or not that has benefited me is a different question. But it basically, it's just that I'm so insubordinate that I had to figure everything out for myself. And so in the same regard as I don't want anyone telling me what the right answer is, I need to go figure it out by breaking things and fucking shit up. Um, that's kind of where that comes from, is just an extreme distaste for authority, <laughs> which is not even fair, because like, as far as people that are capable of making good decisions, my parents definitely were. So any, any bad decisions that I ever made in my life are squarely my own fault. As was, so I have the the luxury of knowing that they really did, didn't fuck me up that bad relative to a lot of people because I just, fuck, you know, anything that I did was 100% me, so.
0: I love that. I really do. It's, uh, man, it's kind of a trip because you mentioned in there a lot of running. You mentioned in there, you mentioned fasting and living in a tent earlier and, See, I, I still don't think we've quite honed in on it because to a degree, it's like there are a lot of people who are insubordinate and say they're going to figure shit out for themselves and then they wind up dead in the hole, right? So they don't go run 100-mile fucking ultras. They don't go live in a tent for, for 40 days. They don't I f- did
1: not run a 100-mile ultra, for the record. I ran, a the ultra 50, you ran. I ran a 50K, which is only slightly longer than a marathon, so –
0: Okay. Well, 31
1: 31 miles. I was, I really thought about, I probably could do it. I think I could do it, but I have very little motivation to do it because I did the 50 K and I was like, Oh God, it's just like a marathon except way longer.
0: Well, it's like philosophers never, uh, I think like Plato and Socrates, there are those quotes from Plato and Socrates about how uh, if you, if you aren't like uh, experiencing the full range that the human body can experience physically that you can't possibly think the way a human should think, right? And sure then Socrates, Socrates was a warrior. Socrates was a warrior,
1: and Plato was a legendary wrestler. Plato, right. Plato means Plato means rock because he was like the rock, you know. Okay. So there's a high likelihood that the reason that Plato kind of sucks is that he was so tough that nobody talked any shit to him. <laughs> um, and Socrates, they waited until he was old to start pressing, you know, charges against him. So there's a very good chance that both of them were extreme hardcore badasses. I'm pretty sure Socrates was a warrior before he was uh, I think uh, like a naval a captain. captain. Yeah. Something, something. And he was widely acclaimed, if I remember correctly. But that also might have been some historical fiction that I saw somebody reference. I don't know. Don't quote me on that.
0: And then after them, most philosophers were just kind of like dorks. Like, Nietzsche went on long walks and stuff, but other than that, they've all just been, you know, scrawny, non-physical people. And I can't help but think that the, the increasing uselessness of theory and philosophy is directly correlated to the increasing uselessness of philosophers' physical bodies.
1: Socrates kind of screwed it up, unfortunately. So uh, you had, before Socrates, you had the sophists uh, who are actually, their name is derogatory. He calls it, say, sophistry, right? uh that's that's an insult but that's because they got paid to teach uh the like uh politicians and stuff and people considered that to be or at least socrates considered that to be a violation of the spirit of philosophy where you should just go around asking questions for the fuck of it and so the downside of that is the sophists were non-dualists right so socrates created dualism dualism creates mind-body dichotomy so then you get Aristotle, who is very much mind, Plato is very much body and mysticism, right? And they split the two. And I think it's more that Socrates represents the the impulse in society to question things that all knowledge is built off of, but that goes in different directions because there's the pure mind approach, which is, you know, weird. It's very weird that Aristotle ended up very much in with like uh, Christianity. Because he's so much of like, really the essence of science, and and a lot, I, I would argue he was probably the first scientist as far as he cataloged a lot of like plants and stuff and observed the natural sciences and that. Technically, all all forms of like intellectual inquiry, inquiry are derived from philosophy. So what we call science was philosophy at one point. Math was philosophy, you know. But and then Plato went the other way because he went like the idealism and. Um, more of the weird, uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't know, that's that's neither here nor there, but the basically at some point we got the mind-body dichotomy, which is as of yet not well resolved. Um, we don't really, I mean, you still have, You know, Kant is the worst for sure, because Kant is pure mind. He did nothing in the real world. His life is ultimately useless, you know? as far as he did, he was just an unremarkable person other than the fact that he wrote a bunch of books that people used as justification for lots of terrible shit. Um, and it's like, also you have Kant who, why would anyone read a thousand pages by a guy who literally like never left his hometown? Like it's astounding, but then people consider that, you know, uh, critique of pure reason to be the, the cornerstone of modern philosophy, which is just astounding. Like, I'm not gonna read that shit because if I wanted to be a fucking loser that doesn't leave his hometown, and sits in a room all day and writes a thousand page book and doesn't do anything about it, then I would have become an academic, right? Cause that's what they did. And they have departments of people that think that you should do that. And it's like, dude, what the hell? What the, what's the point of that? It's very, I, I don't know if nobody ever asked that question and we built the academic system on the notion that it's not even a question that should be asked which is just like, it's no, it never occurred to anyone that the guy who didn't fucking do anything except sit in a room and write a long ass book and then that, that was, that was a good thing that never, nobody thought that that maybe prevents the book from being good is that he didn't do anything with that information, you know, uh, but that, so that's kind of, that's a big part of my thinking is like anything that I write about, I I've done or I'm going to do, or I'm going to tell you about it. Right. Because it's an anti-Kant measure. So I speculate about all kinds of stuff, but I definitely tell you, Hey, this is speculation. I'm not going to be Kant. If I did it, I did it. Here's, here's what happened. Let's, let's talk about it. But uh, imagine, imagine if I wrote a website, it was like a thousand pages of just like shit that I thought about when I was like sitting on the toilet or something. I
0: don't know. Like, don't that's, talk about mold I don't, don't want to read that. that. Way. Hmm? Don't talk about mold bug that way. Uh, he's, uh, he, uh,
1: I wish, man, I think it's a shame because I think the reason that he is like that, Uh, is because he was just too early for Wikipedia and you end up with traditional, like, cause there's a lot of stuff. uh, It's just like the culmination of academia with an anti-academic. Cause he identifies that the Academy is the problem, but his approach is still fundamentally based in academia. And also he's a businessman. He did, uh, you know, so I'll give him credit for urban and that's a pretty revolutionary concept. Uh, But mainly the thing that I can't get behind is that he knows he's a good writer and he writes with that very obvious that he knows he's a good writer and I just can't do it. Like it's too much, you know, like I appreciate that you're that smart, but you don't need to just like, I don't know. I can't get get into it. It's also too, it's very verbose. I try to be, as a a person with a 500 page book, I'm gonna say this with the full knowledge of how facetious this probably sounds, but I actually try to be as brief as possible. So take that as you will. I just write a lot.
0: I actually have one of them right here. You have the small one, I think. I have the small one. The small one is bigger than my entire chest. (laughs) It's a textbook, Is the small one.
1: Yeah. That was actually a printing error that happened. So when we did, uh, when Media still existed, uh, the first thing we did was write a book. That was the Five Pillars of the Ascendant Mind which is a joint project between me, James Dowling, Chance Lunsford, uh, and the, I didn't realize that the settings were paper size, so it's, like, that turned out to be similar thickness to that one, actually. I, I think I tried to get Master Self Year One to be slightly longer than Ascendant Mine, just out of, uh, you know, dick measuring, but the, uh, I say, whenever I published it on Amazon, I set it to five by eight or whatever the size of an actual stack of paper is. So it's like half a ream. And then year two is like a full ream of paper, I think. Or it's yeah. damn close. It's like 530 pages or something.
0: That's insane. Well, so I think that's a good place to go to is at a certain point, you were Garrett Daly producing music in school and dropping out of school. And then there was a very definitive moment where you're like, Okay, I'm going to start writing philosophy books. I'm going to be in a philosophy company. I'm going to start businesses and help other people start businesses. I'm going to write fucking philosophy books and I'm going to fast for 40 days and go in the fucking desert. What was that point? Because I know there, I mean, it, it seems like there, there was a definitive, okay, we're going to switch from A to B here. It's not. No, it
1: sounds like if you look at it in retrospect, it seems very clean cut, but it really wasn't. And so, all right, context. So I had a very distinct idea of what my life was going to be when I was in high school. And that did not hold up to reality at all. So right around right before I graduated from high school, I basically uh, realized that I was wrong about everything. And then it was like, oh, well, I don't I don't. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to college because I've done enough school. I did end up in college, but that we'll get to that. Uh, so I was like, okay, that doesn't really solve any problems. Cause I already hate high school. This is stupid and a waste of time. Uh, and then I was going to join the military, but I realized, well, I could try and beat my dad at what he did. But even if I got as good as him, there's no way to surpass him at the thing that he did. I could just equal him. So I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to make some progress for myself as an individual, I have to focus on the thing that he was not as good at, which is people stuff. I hate people stuff so much, but that's all I really do now. So jokes on me. Right. And so, so that was kind of my motivation for a little while. I literally just fucked around. Uh, I lost my license because of speeding quite a bit, like three months after I got it. So I couldn't get any other job than working with my uh, neighbor who had a painting company. Uh, so I did that for a while and that, uh, that sucked a lot. I re- resolved to never paint again, and yet I've been coerced into painting this house, so joke's on me again. But um, I had a bunch of other random-ass jobs for a while. I worked doing contracting with the military, but I was basically a janitor. It wasn't as cool as it sounds. My buddy used to go to the bar and say, oh, we do military contracting, but we were basically janitors. They got paid exceptionally well. So not not a cool job, but it's very fun. Uh, I got to read a lot of books in that time because we basically were on call all the time. And so we just sit there and either like play, I think I played like all of Far Cry 3 in a month because we just had so much free time to to sit around. But I, that's when I started getting reading into stuff. And um, at this point I had gotten into like psychedelics and started trying to like figure out the, the self and reality and stuff. And so I was reading into a lot of uh, like esoterica because I realized, well, a lot of the mainstream stuff doesn't even approximate reality at all. And then I got into like philosophy and stuff and basically all the philosophers are, that's a broad general statement I'm about to make to, to qualify it as they have a lot of interesting stuff. Pretty much nobody solved anything in a meaningful way. And the world is the way that it is because they all miss the point. Even Nietzsche realized there was a problem a hundred years ago and he was not capable of solving it. So all the problems we have, he predicted kind of, but, he went insane trying to figure it out. So the the stakes are pretty high. Uh, the the likelihood being that if you're going to do real philosophy, you're probably going to go insane. Uh, it broke Nietzsche, and he was a genius. You know, he was kind of useless and and soft, but he he was a genius. You know, and so what we ended up with as a result of him is two camps of people, which were the Postmodernists, so Nietzsche's like, "Hey, nihilism is about to be a big problem. You have the death of God, and now there's no sense of meeting in the world." The postmodernists ran with that. They said, "This is a good thing. We're going to go make up the rules that we want," and you get modern, the modern academic styling of the world. You get like, um, ultimately, all the, all the nihilist things draw from that. So, like that, the fentanyl. And, and the kind of uh, music that is accompanied by downers is all very much the byproduct of nihilism. It's the absolute meaninglessness, like I'm gonna drown myself in downers and that kind of uh, stuff draws from that. This kind of like anti-narrative culture where everything's meaningful, meaningless, everything's nihilistic. It all draws from that. And the alternative was that you get out of Nietzsche was this kind of ridiculous, um, the, like I think Nietzsche styled himself as the Ubermensch or whatever, right? He even though he was obviously not, he was the messenger, right? He was the the he was probably the last man by his own standard, but he he told us there's a problem, someone's gonna solve it. He tried to solve it and he couldn't solve it, so he's all broken by it. And so there's the people that took from that and they went the other direction. You get this weird kind of like like there's people like Moldbug or Evola or this kind of like weird right counterpart where they're very much like. Um, esoteric and kind of fascistic or whatever and neither of these are good solutions so you get like people who want this weird theocratic fascist kind of uh, authoritarian government and the people who want just like absolute chaos because the world's shit and they feel like they're victims and so anyway that was a lot of what I was trying to solve was there's this weird dichotomy the only person who made any substantial progress is Nietzsche. Rand kind of almost got it but she missed the the very critical point of like life is the prerequisite for values, not the ultimate value. And so her entire system was wrong because she made that one miscalculation and thus she actually missed a lot of stuff, but the gist was good and the spirit of it was good. That was how I got into philosophy. And so I was trying to solve, okay, well, how do we, how do we live in the world? If there's no, there's no external authority that we can point to, right? The death of God means that I can uh, make sure we don't go over on time too. So if at some point I ramble too hard stop me, but the, uh, <laughs> basically if, if you lived in 14th century or, or 10th century Europe or whatever, and you're like a, a pagan and you said, oh man, it's raining because Odin's sad or, or it's lightning because Thor is striking the anvil with his hammer, right? In, in that time, that's actually a perfectly good explanation because there's no reason you would know how electrons work. So, And actually, it's better. It's a better explanation. I prefer that we're real to electrons because it's just like so damn boring. And so the death of God ultimately represents we lose the ability to say, hey, that guy made the rules. There's a reason for all of this stuff. It means that we have to figure out what the rules are. And this is not a theological argument. I don't make theological arguments. That's up to you to figure out. I make philosophical arguments about how the, the logic of it works. If there is some kind of divinity, go figure it out yourself. That's, I don't make any, any aspersions to claim those things. So that's not the job of philosophy. This job of philosophy is just to figure out what's the logic of it, right? So the, we, lose, we lose meaning, and this is reflected in this period in my life because I'm trying to find all these different systems uh, that hopefully that there would be something that I could say, this is, this is the way to do it. And none of them were fulfilling. None of them seemed to answer the questions in a meaningful way because even the best like uh, esoteric religions and stuff, there, there are some saints and mystics who just are amazing, amazing people that had such a beautiful conception of life and reality in the cosmos and that. Like Rumi uh, is, a, is a Sufi poet uh, in, in Sufi, which is esoteric Islam. Which is like one percent of all Islam, and then everyone knows the Sunnis and the Shiites are like ninety three percent, seven percent, or something like that. But the Sufis are the the least common. So Rumi's this amazing poet, is just a great view of life and the divine and all this stuff. But it doesn't answer the problems that we're dealing with. Or like esoteric Christianity is very cool. You have like Kabbalah and Judaism, or you have uh, Eastern philosophy. So uh, You could get like Tibetan Buddhism is like esoteric Buddhism, so Tantra or uh, Vajrayana or all these other schools of thought Zen is pretty great. But none of them really answer the questions because everyone is still trying to solve the problem of life is suffering. And that is a great thing to acknowledge because it's it's a part of reality. Nobody, nobody ever says like life is ice cream. Life has ice cream, right? That's a thing that exists. It's pretty great. But nobody characterizes life as a whole by ice cream. And thus life is also suffering but that's the thing people complain about. So there's other things too, but that's always been the relative issue in all of philosophy is like, the world's kind of bad sometimes. What do we do about that, right? That's all well and good. And most like stoicism is a good answer to that, or uh, Zen where it's just like, deal with it. But when you run into the problem of the death of God, then you have a universe with no great sense of meaning and it's like what's the point of dealing with it so then Camus is like oh you have sisyphus right you just need to ask for a bigger rock and i really fuck with the essence of that but that's actually not an answer either it's just an attitude right and there's a reason he's an absurdist because that's the only way to reconcile that is it's absurd right so i get to this point in my life where i was like i got into sales because i was trying to get good at people stuff and learn psychology and do all the things that i was bad at and i the that was a very unpleasant period in my life. Cause I was trying to be this extroverted person that I'm not right. And do all these things just because I was trying to figure it out. And so I figured I was supposed to be this, uh, there, there's some conflict between who I thought I was supposed to be and who the world uh, wanted me to be, or like what I thought I was supposed to do rather than be the person I thought I would be. And so this culminates when I go to college, the only reason I went to school was to get out of my hometown because it's a shithole. And, uh, I go to college and I, I don't know, I just like, couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. I was going to classes and eventually I just stopped going to classes. Cause I was just like, didn't care. I was doing Same. drugs. Same. All right. I, it, it happens to everybody. If you real like if you're willing to be honest with the fact that it's just a waste of time. Uh, and if you want the piece of paper, that's cool. But I'd much rather, I would go to college for four years and leave the day before I got the piece of paper because I know just as much as the person with it. Right. But, that was the thing I realized I read more books when I was out of school than when I was in school because I was just like trying to drink myself to death I was really miserable right and so you get to this point or at least I got to this point where I was like all right well either either the world's a terrible place and I'm a terrible person and everything's bad right this is basically the realization of like absolute nihilism this is the or, or the dark night of the soul if you want like a esoteric Version. I highly recommend if anyone's interested in that stuff, there's a, uh, a poem called The Ascent of Mount Carmel by St. John of the Cross, which is where we get the term, the dark night of the soul from, that's amazing. And well, he's considered to be the second best uh, person in Christianity after Christ himself. So great, great person to read about. He's uh, probably the best Christian mystic. Anyway, so this is that period of my life where it's like, okay, everything's shit, everything's fucked. And it was the realization of perfect nihilism, right? And so what I realized was like, oh, well, I don't really want to die. I'm kind of like trying to solve this problem. And it's like, well, all right, if I decide not to be dead, then there's a bunch of other shit I have to figure out. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to choose to be alive, which, and this is the, the where I, I have my issue with Rand, is Rand's thing is that life is the highest value. My argument is life is the prerequisite for all values. And that is a very significant and substantial difference, because if you're going to, uh, you have a sniper rifle and you are 1 centimeter off but you're shooting over the course of a mile and a half right a centimeter over a mile and a half of difference in aim means you're going to completely miss by you know yards right and so if rand got the first part of her philosophy wrong by g- literally just the tiniest distinction she got everything else wrong more or less and a lot of the stuff she did was cool in theory and the idea of doing a coherent philosophy based on first order thinking is very, very novel. Nobody really was good at that. A lot of philosophers just have opinions about shit and it's not coherent the way that they think. So all of this to say that was the turning point, right? I realized, okay, I'm choosing to be, I'm consciously choosing to live, right? That means I have to figure out everything as a result of that. If I'm gonna live, well, I have to decide what is the world? What do I value? What if, what am I supposed to do about it, right? And so everything that came after that, if that was rock bottom, or, you know, it's probably a part of a series of progressive different kinds of rock bottoms that I've been to, as far as just like, in the process of self-reflection, you find, oh, I'm really terrible at this thing. But you only figure that out when you're fucking stuff up. And so it's a series of progressively fucking things up. I learned, I learned how things work by breaking them, right? Whether that's, the mind or the body, or whatever, you have to go smash your head against the wall until you figure out either I'm going to break this wall or my head's going to get stronger and then I'm going to break this wall. But either the wall is going to break you or you're going to break the wall eventually. So you may as well commit, right? So I left school. Uh, basically, I failed out of school, but my buddy called me up like a week before the end of school and was like, hey, you want to start a business? I'm like, yes. So we, uh, so I dropped out of school. I definitely just let it happen. I knew, uh, I actually, the only reason I was there the third semester at all was because I got a 66.7, which is 0.1% higher than failing out of school. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to party. Right. And I did. I and was so- literally
0: the same way, man. I, I did well my first semester, but I knew on like the second day that I was going to be out of there the second semester. I'm like, well, I'm gonna finish so i might as well do a good job so i did that but then third semester like a weekend i was like no fuck this i'm done and i just stopped going to class and i was like i'm actually not going to drop out i'm going to fail out because then i can never go back to another school with any kind of a scholarship and then i won't go so fuck it i'm gonna fail out
1: that's it well you gotta burn the shit i'm a big fan of burning the ships by the way so that's uh that's a critical that's a critical way of looking at a lot of the things I've done in my life is if you're going to do something, commit to doing it. If you're not going to commit to doing it, don't do it. Right. So
0: plan B you won't follow plan a, well, no, if you have a choice, if you have an
1: option, then if you want to quit, you'll quit. So if you give yourself no option, you committed to not quitting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we started business. We do it for a year. Uh, This is kind of when I really started getting my shit together. So uh, when I, the only job that I could get uh, when I, left school i was living with my uh business partner uh just to pay rent i was you know in debt and had bills and stuff so the only thing i could do was i was going to run his kiosk i think i did this for maybe 500 bucks a month and i worked seven days a week like 10 hours a day running this kiosk uh for that little amount of money just to pay the bills and he, he didn't charge me rent and uh So I did that for a little while and I was sober. I didn't have money for food. And in the process, I discovered fasting. And that's why I did the 40 day fast. Cause I was like, well, I don't know the last time I I was probably drunk for six months straight. So like, I don't know, I don't know if I've been sober for more than a month in, since I started drinking or whatever. Right. I have no idea the last time I was sober for for a month. So I was like, all right, I'll do 40 days of sobriety. And then in the process of that, I learned about fasting. And then at 20 days in, I started doing the fast. So I ended up just seeing how far I could go. I set the goal of 40 days uh, because it seemed like a cool, significant number. And then I did it. I probably could have kept going too. I'm kind of bummed that I didn't, but there's very little drive to continue fasting after that long
0: period of time. Just one more day just to stick it to Jesus.
1: Yeah. I actually think I might be several minutes under 40 days. I'm pretty sure I'm at like 39 days and 23 hours and something. Cause I don't remember for sure, but I think we got Taco Bell around midnight the day before I started, but I don't know. Oh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. So did that, had the business, did it for about a year. Uh, didn't pan out. Although if you want to read about it, there's an article where I talk about how uh, a year and a half later, I got an email from the person we would have landed as a, uh, we wanted to land as a client and we would have had like a $300,000 contract if we had still been in business when that happened. So it's was like, okay, well the next business is I do, I just won't quit, right? we go to Colorado. I'm there for six months. I work in a microchip factory. Uh, I start the website right before I uh, move, but I get a job at Tesla, move to Reno, live in a tent for a month. Um, just because that was the only way I could go get this job. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to go work at Tesla. It'll be fun. So I did that. And that was basically like, that was where I completed the first story arc of my life, like to become completely self-sufficient. Cause I had a bunch of experiences where I was dependent on other people and that put me in a position where I was not making good decisions, you know, where either I owed people money or I was a burden or what I I was just being, uh, you know, so I don't know. I had to get to a point where I could just say, it's only me. I'm hundred percent self-sufficient. I'm not dependent on anyone. Right. And that's what I, that, that was what I did. And that was when I really started writing as a result. And from there uh, you know, Started writing the blog, just because the only place I could get internet when I was living in the town was Starbucks. And that is a habit I've continued to this day is going to Starbucks and writing. Um, working at Tesla, actually making good money for the first time in my life uh, at a consistent job that I relatively enjoyed. Started I on Media about a year in, uh, met this guy. And then did, I worked at Tesla for a year and a half, came back to Raleigh uh, on vacation last April met up with Sonny because uh, he was the only person in town that, that was there uh, to hang out with other that you know I had gone out the night before I ended up like passing out downtown and Sonny happened to be there like hey let's get lunch like five minutes into that conversation he was like oh I want to do this co-working cafe I was like oh well I want to do this like freaky thing where we live in a warehouse and then like <laughs> uh, beat each other Match up made in fire park. right and that was like cool if we put it together it's like a marketable idea not a freaky cult that Garrett wants to start or something right so <laughs> Uh, so we really toned down the cold vibes a little bit, just in case any investors are watching this, you know. But the um, that's how Mark I can Cuban back- is watching this right now. Yeah, he's very disappointed.
0: That, he thumbs down the video.
1: I don't know that I would go with the Shark tech people, to be honest. It's not. I don't think they got the right vibe. But anyway,
0: I am curious though. So I'm, it's it's pretty clear how the 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 visceral experiencing of your life if you're honest about it leads you to philosophy or some kind of self-examination or personal development and if you follow that road long enough ideally you want to do something about it and help other people in some way and truly live what you've maybe discovered or think you've discovered so it's pretty clear how it goes suffering self-improvement business but what i'm curious about to kind of wrap up here is you're working with me very closely and I can see the influence of your deep study of philosophy and your deep development of ideas in how you're doing the work not just why or that you're doing the work so you really bring a philosophy element to business to business strategy to marketing and I'm wondering if that's something that other people can cultivate or, or how you sort of guide that process because it seems like it's kind of new territory I haven't seen many people doing that
1: it's Basically, so one of the things that people really have a hard time with, and this is basically just the fault of academia because pretty much all academics are functionally useless. And you don't get this as much with people in like the practical sciences, like engineering or like real science or like um, architecture architecture's got a little bit shittier because people realize they can build buildings that are architecturally sound, but the, a lot of the building has nothing to do with the structure of it, which I think is, uh, that's one thing that I do take from Rand is I love the fountainhead, uh, cause they wrote a book about a, uh, or she wrote a book about an obstinate redheaded guy who's liked philosophy and ideas. And that's basically like 16 year old Garrett was like, holy shit, it's me. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the, the thing that, you, you don't get like, people have this weird thing for all of human history where we have a separation between ideas and practical action. And you get these people that are naturally good at living in the real world, which uh, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs are sensors, and you have people that live in the world of ideas that a lot of the time are less in, in immediately practical, they're intuitives, right? And that's partially the split between that where we have these people who are good at ideas and not good at anything useful, that went into academia and they just stayed in academia like somebody made, somebody made the joke that uh if you go and get an archaeology or an egyptology degree and the only job you can get is teaching egyptology then you're literally involved in a pyramid scheme and that's funny <laughs> but it's it's true that a lot of people get degrees only to teach with them and thus you've proven that it's a pyramid scheme and also that your degree doesn't do anything except enable you to teach people teaching and that's completely removed from utility, right? So the thing that that I'm, this is a Rand thing that she was eminently convinced about the the functional utility of ideas and all of her characters were uh, an architect or a business person or whatever. They were people that actually did something. And I'm a firm believer that A, philosophy fucking matters, right, B, ideas matter. And if you can do whatever you want, if you wanna go make a company that makes a shit ton of money and you don't think about the ideas, then okay, cool, be Enron. Be uh, what's a terrible, co- I don't know. Be like Microsoft, right? Sorry, Benji. But, the, uh, if like, the only reason that P- Microsoft is as big as it is, is because Apple fell off. And Apple was actually the great hope of an ideas driven company, because what did they say? Hey, think different, hey, We're for creative people. We give a shit about doing things right. There's so much philosophy in Apple. It's because Steve Jobs was big in it. He was big into design. And those are things that really intentionality as a concept. People didn't design shit back in the day. They just made stuff, you know? And it's like, it's just wild. It's just wild when you think about it because we all kind of get now that your why matters. And Simon Sinek has that book, Star With Why. And that, the concept of that, the, the golden circle and starting with why is so it seems so obvious when you hear it but it's actually insane that most people don't think about why they do anything they just do stuff and actually a lot of the time the people that just do stuff and don't think about it beat the people that think about the shit because they don't do anything about it. So ultimately the thing that I firmly believe but it took me a long time to figure out all the thinky shit before I got to the doing stuff is that hey, ideas matter these things are practical and while everyone in the world makes jokes about a philosophy degree being useless and i'll also make those jokes because they are (laughs)
0: you have
1: a piece of paper that says you can think you can't obviously think that fucking well because you could have written your own piece of paper you dumbass. but the uh that's neither here nor there the the philosophers aren't going to like me anyway because i shit on them all the time but the the point being, the big takeaway of all of whatever I've talked about, and really if you ever take anything from from my writing or whatever, ideas matter, philosophy matters, how you think about the world matters. And if you don't think about that shit, somebody else did for you and you're just a puppet in their system, right? And ultimately it's my extreme distaste for anyone telling me what to do that I decided, well, I'm just gonna think about all this stuff. Uh, I highly recommend at the very least that you don't take anything that I say, uh, as fact or seriously or whatever. You should read it all with the idea that I'm full of shit and it's all stupid bullshit because that's the right attitude to have with all things. And hopefully some of it's useful, right? If it's not ignore it, right? Because people, there's a lot of shit that people read that is terrible and not tested out and not useful that people don't think about. So, Start, start with my stuff. I think it probably is useful, but read it assuming that I'm the dumbest person alive and that everything I said is bullshit because if I'm wrong, I certainly don't know it, right? So you should assume that I'm wrong for all of our sakes because if I'm wrong and you don't think that I'm wrong, then we're all fucked,
0: right? If there's one thing I've learned from knowing you for the two years now that I've known you, it's that I definitely do assume that you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about, Garrett.
1: That is the right attitude um, for all things. That's why so I just
0: so i guess to wrap up then we talked about what that x factor is how it's you know embedded in your work and everything you do and honestly we could probably do so for context in addition to that prior interview we did we also ran a short-lived series of shows on garrett's old it was basically a broadcasting and publishing philosophy company called ion media um it's coming back And we did a segment or a show on there where the episodes were like four hours long. Like we put Joe Rogan and Alex Jones to shame. We would just go for four hours and it'd be like, all right, meme theory, go. And it would, three people would watch. It would be great more than the people who are watching right now, but um, we'd live stream and we just talk a whole bunch of shit for five hours. So we're going to have to do one of those where we go into this idea of the CPO or the chief philosophy. Oh yeah. That would
1: actually be useful. And I could. Uh, that's the thing after doing all this business shit, I've enhanced the actual utility of all this stuff by a million times, because like before I knew all the theory was like probably going to work out because I, you know, I did the math and shit, but then it's like doing the business stuff and it's like, holy shit, this is actually super fucking useful. Nice.
0: I know to do that episode. And I think the next time I have you on, if we stretch it out to like two, two and a half hours instead of one hour, because this time I was like, okay, if left to our own devices, we will both talk for one hour and not take a break. I think I'll let him do that um, this time. And the next time, if we go for two hours, we can go back and forth on that. But like if, point is I am curious if in, if you had to describe, cause I know you have so many big plans. There are a lot of companies in the works. I'm involved with some of them, but w- what is the scene that you wanna make? We found that X factor. We found what makes you a unique character and how you're bringing it to your work, but what's the end of the story arc? What's the goal?
1: Uh so my actual thing and people don't think that this is serious but anyone that was ever a pledge in our fraternity if you ever asked them uh a pledge when I was a brother uh you can ask them because this was my interesting fact that I gave everyone for their interviews uh in a perfect world I would design bathrooms because a it's always done wrong b it's very satisfying when you go to a bathroom that's designed well and c uh, It would be a job that I could do in absolute obscurity with the knowledge that I was doing a good service for the world that people would not appreciate. And I would just do it because I liked it. But because everybody fucked up philosophy, I don't get to have the job that I want, which is not talking to anyone and just doing this one obscure task to a high degree of quality. So I would like a world where I could do that confidently knowing that people aren't going to fuck all the shit up uh, if I stop trying to fix it. And until we live in that world where I can just relax, and you know the political system isn't imploding, or like uh, people don't think that business is inherently evil, or uh, people like think that the government actually solves their problems and that voting matters, or like <laughs> any of that shit, or that like politicians actually give a fuck about you, or like all these other dumbass things that people think, uh, then until that day, I'm gonna. Try and fix it to the point where i don't have to touch it anymore and
0: i'd like to take the opportunity to remind you to go out and vote thank you okay continue garrett yeah so don't do it right in kanye right in tulsi
1: anything anything else i don't know (laughs) um yeah so i guess that's my goal is i would like to get to the point where i can just fuck off and then probably do some art or something i would like to I have some stuff to learn how to sculpt, but I haven't had the free time since quarantine to, to practice that. But that's something I would like to learn how to do, like stonemasonry or something. I think that'd be cool. One thing I, I resolved to do at some point when I, like, once we're all rich and we can all kind of chill, is I want to go to like random places in the woods and build like just ruins and just leave them there because I think there's no mystery in the world and be really cool if you could just like wander into like a Tomb Raider fucking scenario. <laughs> yeah. Whether there's booby traps or something is TBD, but I think that, that would be awesome because there's just like, we have this thing when the frontiers are gone and I guess space is the final frontier, but the likelihood of finding like Tomb Raider shit on the moon is probably pretty slim unless the moon Nazis are up there. So it'd be very cool to just be able to go wander around the woods and find some ruins. And I don't know, I, miss, I, I would like that sense of mystery to return to the world, you know? I'd like I'd like that sense of like I'd like to see genuinity and like kind of naive fun and the sense of the whimsical to come back because I think we really everyone's so fucking cynical and edgy and cool and like you think about like I don't know like everyone's idea of of what the ideal is like some like James Dean aggressively smoking a cigarette and pretending he doesn't give a shit about anything like oh. I don't like that. Just give me, give me dorks. Give me fun. Give me, you know, give me that. That's what I'd like to see come out of all of this is just like, have fun with it. I think people have such a shit attitude towards life most of the time. It's like, it's not that bad. It's like that terrible shit happens all the time. Don't get me wrong. And suffering is a very important part of life and it's necessary. But if you can't, you know, endure that and then have a dumb joke or not take yourself seriously, like you, you miss the point.
0: I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap. Uh, I'd love to live in the world where you can just stay in the bathroom all day, too. Um, I want to get to that. And I think at minimum, one big dork has come out of this. And his name is Garrett Daly. And he wrote a book called Master Self Year One and another book called Master Self Year Two. You can find the excerpts of those books on his blog for free at MasterThyself.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Libra underscore Rex. All the links are going to be down below. I highly encourage you to check them out and dive right in. If you read some of the challenge articles, like his running challenge, his fasting challenge, try it out. I'm, I'm three days deep into a fast right now, and I feel great. I am going to break it with pizza in about an hour. That's okay. It's fun times. Garrett, um, I'm going to have you back on again soon. We're going to do a lot of these probably. But um, you were a very big formative part of why I am into podcasting and why I've taken my business in some of the directions I've taken it. And really a, lo- a lot of my life is partially inspired by some of the things that we've spoken about on podcasts or off podcasts. So I just wanna publicly thank you for that. And uh, then I'm gonna call you a dork again. Who's yeah, good. Just just, I mean, you need to
1: balance it out or else my head will explode. It's true. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is if I have new writing on ion.media masterself, uh, or you can just go to ion.media. There's new writing there. So it there will it'll all be posted there. I need to transfer over the Master Self stuff to, well, I did transfer it over, but the website is not transferred over to ion.media. So anything new will be on there because the website is much nicer and runs much faster. But yes, that was the only other thing.
0: Beautiful. Check out Garrett. We'll have more plugs down below and he'll be back real, real soon. Thanks for making a scene with me, Garrett. Have fun, everyone. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that was one hell of an episode, wasn't it? I, uh, I really love talking to Garrett. I basically talk to that guy every day and it was great to finally get one of those conversations on record. Um, if you want to follow Garrett and you want to keep up with everything that he's doing, everything we talked about on the show, check out the links down below, follow Garrett. If you are a freelancer, a content creator, a producer, you're working in the event, creative or marketing gig economy in any way, and you want to transcend petty competition with your fellow artists and fellow creators and kind of transcend into the partnership economy where we're all coming together to make good things, but without, you know, racing to the bottom for Fiverr level rates, then I think you should check out the artworks group at facebook.com slash groups slash artworks group. We'd love to have you. There's a lot you can contribute to the group and there's a lot you'll get out of it. We've got a bunch of people paid work in only three weeks of the, uh, uh, of the group being up. So it's really, uh, really kind of cool to see that it's already starting to do what I intended for it to do. And we can only make that bigger and better. So if you wanna join the artworks group, we will help you take your career to the next level hone your craft and we can collaborate on your own projects. And of course we're having dope conversations and sharing nice spicy memes. So come on over to facebook.com groups slash artworks group, all my links. If you wanna keep up on what I'm doing also down below, check it out and I'll see you next time. Thanks
1: for making a scene everybody.